0: And looking at some spiritual sticking points that people might have as they approach and begin to understand faith or begin to try to get their mind around it or investigate it a little bit. And some of us in this room have gone to a place where we felt like we did this investigation around faith, around Jesus, and we've made a decision. And we've we gotten to that place where we said, hey, we want to trust in Jesus and what he's done. And so for a lot of us, that makes sense. For others of you who are here, maybe that's new. Maybe that's kind of trying to understand that for yourself. And I want to tell you, I think it's awesome that you're here. In fact, we want to be a church where people at every stage of life, and wherever they are in their spiritual journey, can begin to investigate at their own place and at their own pace to begin to understand what does Jesus really have to say about life and so this week one, I'm just kind of a little recap tonight of looking at these spiritual sticking points that people may have and how do you begin to get around those and so if you missed that, if that's kind of maybe where you were or where you are in life, I invite you to go back and kind of maybe catch up with us a little bit of that and week two was Easter and we studied the idea of the reliability of the resurrection because Christianity as a whole, as a faith, really the linchpin of everything is the resurrection And what we looked at is we looked through historical evidence, we looked through things that uh, is written a lot from Lee Strobel's book, In the Case for Christ, which you could read if you want to, and in those things we looked at that and we said, yes, there is high reliability for the resurrection being exactly how the Bible has laid it out to be. There's high, high evidence and credibility for that. The question is, will you believe it? Will you take it up on that? Will you, you get to that place? And last week we looked at this idea of, okay, now that you've investigated this evidence, this case for Christ, so to speak, it's really Easter is this declaration for people to come home into relationship, into life with God. And what does it look like to come home To God, And that's what we kind of looked at this last week and we threw out this this invitation that this call is always going out. In fact, we said throughout this whole series, if if you're struggling with doubt or you're struggling with some uncertainties, some things that you're trying to get your mind around, if you would just open up your mind and your heart enough, just even a little bit, to turn in God's direction, here's what you're gonna find. God has always been turned in your direction. And I'm convinced, like many of us who sit here, that if you'll just open up your heart and mind enough to begin to even begin to turn in his direction, you'll begin to discover for yourself that he's always been turned in your direction and wants to have a life-giving relationship with you, one that's nurturing and ministering to you, one that is maybe welcoming you home into relationship with him. See, the Bible clearly lays out that for us to have life with God, for us to have faith in him, it's not based on kind of a posture of performance. It's based on a posture of surrender, of getting to a place where where we say, okay, Jesus, I may not know everything, but your life and your death and your resurrection is significant enough for me to say, I'm tired of trying to earn a right relationship with God or I'm trying to, tired of trying to make my way to God. You actually provided a way. And that's kind of what we looked at last week is sometimes we don't like that. We like to do our own way, and we like to, we're Americans, and and we're good, and we're good enough, and we like to make our own way, but the reality is we'll never be able to make a way to a holy and perfect God, and we're grateful that he even thought about making a way to us because that's what we see in the life, in the person of Jesus. And so remember we looked at this verse last week, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse uh, 5 and 6 says this, there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. And God sent him at just the right time. And so for some of us, We got to that place, we made that decision. For others of you that might be here or friends that you know, friends that you care deeply about, maybe family members that you care about, there's still this wrestling match going on when it comes to faith and in fact that's what we looked at this first week is that it's okay to wrestle with God. It's okay to wrestle with faith and trying to understand that in fact the things that you care most about, the things that you value most in life, you've probably wrestled about decisions that you had to make. You spent time and energy wrestling about those and when you made them, you realized it was worth the effort in that and that's why this is worth the effort for us to begin to investigate this case for Christ. Now, as we have friends who are maybe still in this wrestling match, so to speak, what the call for us as Christ followers, if that's you here, is not for you to to take this understanding, to take maybe some of the facts, some of the historical evidence, some of the things that maybe you've learned, uh, maybe going to the movie. How many of you have seen the movie? Some of you have done that, okay. How many of you ever read the book, The Case for Christ? Maybe you've been in this just attending this series and you've gotten some kind of handles around some things that are for you. And it's not about us taking that as now ammunition to go win an argument about someone else. See, apologetics, which is a big fancy word to say, hey, how do you defend the credibility of the Christian faith? How do you defend the credibility of what you believe? Apologetics, in a lot of ways in the Christian circles and in our culture, has gotten very divisive at times. In fact, it almost gets to the place where the person with the biggest bullhorn wins, right? And what do we like about that? Zip. We don't like anything about it. In fact, a lot of us sit here and go, man, I wish, sometimes it feels like Christians who shout the loudest kind of ruin it for the rest of us. You ever felt that way? Maybe you wouldn't admit it out loud, but you'd feel that way. And in your heart of hearts, you're like, it's just gotta be a better way. I love what Philip Yancey writes this. He's a Christian author, a great guy. He says this, no one has ever been converted to Christianity because they lost an argument. Listen, this series is not about giving you ammo to help win an argument. This is about finding a baseline and a foundation for yourself to go, hey, my faith or our faith or this faith There's credibility to it. And our goal is not to go win an argument. That doesn't mean you can't have conversation. Doesn't mean you can't have healthy debate. Doesn't mean you shouldn't have healthy, uh, strenuous discussion because that's a part of wrestling. But this really, at the end of the day, is about how we've discovered what Jesus really is and who he really is and how that has rescued and saved you if that's the place you're in. And then at the same time now, how that has equipped you to go do something else in this world. In fact, we're gonna get to a section in the Bible, one of the, uh, the famous sermons that Jesus had. So if you have your Bible, you can go to Matthew chapter five or if you wanna follow along on YouVersion, just pull out your Bible app. You can click on YouVersion events, type in Element City Church and all this stuff is there. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus is gonna start teaching a little bit of what I want us to look at and kinda camp on tonight about where we're going because the reality is this is not about trying to win an argument. This is about having God win our hearts to begin to shape us to care about what he cares about most. What does God care most about? Take a wild guess. Does he care about cheesecake? No, but listen, we all do, okay? Let's, cheesecake's good. What does God care most about in this world? People, us, your friends, your neighbors, your family, your coworker, the student in your class, the person on your team. What God cares most about is the people that surround you. And what he desires more than anything is for them to recognize and be awoken to the reality that he loves them the same way that he loves you and that you are woken up to. And the issue is, it's not just God's job to go tell people that. Because now as a follower of Jesus, one who has maybe wrestled this out for yourself and come to a conclusion where you put your faith in Christ, listen, you have now been enlisted, whether you wanted to be or not, into God's mission in this world. And here's how Jesus kind of frames this out in Matthew chapter five. Here's what he gets to. Matthew chapter five, beginning of verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty? Again, that's a lot of times saying the word salt. Okay, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled. How many of you like salt? It, it lets your food taste better, right? Uh, how many of you have had food that didn't have salt and what you were wanting in that moment was salt, right? Okay, so we've all been there. Salt has something about the flavor and and what it brings, it's necessary. He goes on, you're not just the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, you let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In the same way, you let your good deeds, you let your life, the way you live, the way you speak, the way you react, the way you interact, the way you conduct your life in living, the choices you make, the things, the scope of what you kind of give your life to, the passions that you give your heart over to, the things that you pursue in life. In the same way, you let your light shine that others may see that and begin to be pointed to your heavenly Father. To be pointed, listen, kind of what we said last week, pointed toward home. And what a relationship and what life with God is really like. You are the salt of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Salt's necessary. What's Jesus really saying here? This is the most famous sermon Jesus gives. Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus would have given it several, several times as a traveling rabbi and teacher. It really kind of comes to a conclusion that we're actually gonna look as we start a new series next week looking at parables, kind of these stories and life lessons of Jesus. We're gonna start with how he ends the Sermon on the Mount and the story and life lesson that he teaches. But here, he's trying to drive home something to you and to I who are followers of Jesus. He's saying, look, you are no longer just like you. You're no longer just, okay, your life You've been enlisted into, you've been enfolded into something, this mission that's so much bigger than you. You're not just your identity anymore. You're not just Bob, or Ryan, or Susie. You're not just that anymore. You've been listed in, in fact, now you, you're the salt of the earth. You're to bring flavor, and the favor, and the hope of God wherever you go. You're the light of the world. Well, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say that he was the light of the world? So, like, we're not like ranked up there with him. No, no. We've been enlisted though. It's not that that Jesus is not the light of the world. He is. He's it. Everything's about him. Point, period. That's it. But the reality is now he's been enlisted and, and he's willing to share. In fact, he wants to share this role to say, I want other people who are trapped in darkness, who are trapped in the the shadows of life, uh, to begin to see that there's something different possible. That maybe there's actually a way home for them. And so in this uh, encounter, Jesus is laying this out, saying, look, you're the light of the world. You let your light shine. And so as we've looked at this case for Christ, we begin to see um, how do you do that in the 21st century? What does that begin to look like and that's what I want to spend the rest of our time kind of looking at maybe three different things that, that kind of encapsulate. what does it mean to begin to be the salt of the earth, the, the light of the world? How do you do that in the 21st century? Because it's not like, okay, I don't, I'm not a shaker, I don't just, you know, I, like, how do you do this? How do you actually live this out in a way? And, and I want you to see an example from the movie. We've been showing clips from the movie each week. And some of you have seen this, you, you've seen Alfie. And you've seen this lady, Alfie, who interacts with Lee and Leslie Strobel in the course of their story. In fact, it's at this juncture and moment where them as agnostics and as atheists, as people who have kind of written off God and have now have a daughter and things are beginning to happen and something happens, this is real life, that happened in their life that God used this moment to begin to kind of maybe tap Leslie on the shoulder a little bit. Uh, Maybe begin to have her turn in God's direction even just a little bit. And she began to discover that God has always been turned in hers. And so we're going to watch this clip and I'll unpack a little bit afterwards. But this is kind of how their story unfolded and how this juncture of life began to change. Mm hmm. Sweetie? Allie, what is it, really? Are you choking? I think she's choking. Shall we come and call, Allie. It's okay sweetheart, I'm right here. Okay, stay calm, look at daddy. Oh, please do Come on, something. Cough, Allie, come on baby. Please, somebody have something please. Call an ambulance. Baby, you have to breathe right now. You I just to to everybody, you give, her, give her some space, come on baby, please. Look at daddy, okay? Breathe for me, you're gonna be all right. I love you, sweetheart. Hand to me quick, quick, I'm a nurse. Oh, Allie. Allie. Come on, come on, baby. come on, come on, Allie, call for me. We need you to, we need I, you to you can't cough. Can't you breathe, I mean, Can you do that? Honey, can you? Off, baby. Okay. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, just, okay. She's coughing, she's fine. Just okay, just breathe. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I don't know how to thank you. Come here, man. Come here. Thank I'm you. You don't have to watch. thank me. <laughs> I'm a nurse at Mercy Hospital. She's gonna be fine now. We are so lucky. Well, it's not luck. It's Jesus. <laughs> My husband and I went over to another restaurant tonight. <laughs> Something told me I need to be here. No. Really, really cool uh, moment and story. And, and really what unfolds from here is obviously it's more than just this simple interaction. Uh, though if you're a parent, uh, I've had a kid who's uh, been choking before. There, uh, I don't know if there's a feeling worse uh, for a parent. And so if you're a parent, aunt, uncle, you, you understand the, the severity of that moment. And there was something in that moment. I love what Alfie said. It, okay, it, it wasn't like, hey, I'm awesome, look at me, I'm a nurse. You know, it wasn't that, was it? It was simply, uh, let me just kind of point people toward Jesus. So she just said that. Uh, it's, it's, it's all Jesus. And that's all she said. When you understand Leslie and, and Lee's story a little bit, what you begin to understand is how that moment began to awaken something. God took a, a serious dink, a, a, a coincidence, a circumstance of life that began to turn Leslie's heart to be open toward God, to be open toward him uh, in this way uh, and to begin to, to kind of see if he was kind of turned in her direction, even though she had kind of closed and built a wall and said, okay, there's nothing about this faith thing. But God used that moment to begin to reach out to her. In fact, her and Alfie uh, had conversations afterwards and uh, in fact, Alfie's the one that invited her to church and she came and began to start her journey and she went through this investigation. She got to a place where she made her decision to come home into relationship with Christ and Lee was kinda sent on another way, don't he? And that's kinda what this movie begins to unfold. and What we've been looking at the last few weeks is he's sent on this 22 month journey to try to disprove Christianity and to interview scholars and read and and to kind of prove that she's joined a cult. Um, And then he comes to his own discovery. And so in this, what does it look like to be salt and light? I I think it maybe is as simple as what you just saw right there. It it doesn't have to be dramatic. It doesn't have to be like tomorrow going in uh, to work, like with your thickest Bible that you got and like walking in and just holding it over your head as you walk down through the cubicles. Like, it's all Jesus, praise God, okay? It isn't going to the lunchroom tomorrow at school where there's everyone getting Chick-fil-A and all these other kind of places and you're like, Chick-fil-A's the best because it's Jesus chicken, okay? It's like, it's not being weird about this, okay? It's it's not getting to a place where you're trying to draw attention to yourself. Here's what you'll discover. As you live more and more of your life just in step with Jesus, as you follow after him, my hunch is if you will open your heart to say, God, how can you use me today to let people know about your love and your hope and Would you just show me how you could do that? My hunch is, if you'll open your mind and your heart and your eyes to see it, there's opportunities all around you not to do it in a weird way, but to do it in a natural way, an authentic way. I think part of it starts with prayer. In fact, that's one of the first things I want us to look at tonight is, I want us to grasp that, that before Jesus talked to his neighbors, the people that were surrounding him about God, he talked to God about those people that were surrounding him. And so maybe the, the challenge for us is to begin to up our prayer life a little bit in the direction that if the thing that matters most to God is people, not necessarily my happiness, my contentment, that matters to him, and it's okay to bring all of our requests to him. In fact, Philippians tells us that. We can bring all our requests, all the things that occupy our mind, the anxiety that drives us, we can lay all that at God's feet. He's big enough to handle that. But if what he cares about most is people, you're part of that, but you're not the only thing of that. And a friend, let's just be honest, in our culture, in our culture, it is so easy for the world to be my world, isn't it? It's so easy for the scope of life to become this. It's my life. God, what are you gonna do for me? Listen, God cares about you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. For some of you, that's easier to count than others, but he knows. He's dialed in. He gets this, but his scope is not this, He runs a universe, friends. He knows billions of names, do you? In fact, if you looked at the fridge that God has in heaven, each of you would have a picture there because you're special, you matter to him. And he cares about each one. And so his scope is not this, it's it's beyond massive. And what he desires is for people who are not home to make it home into relationship with him and so he says to the people who have you're the salt of the earth you're the light of the world I want to work in and through you to begin to show that there's a way home for the people who haven't found it yet and so I want you to pray for them I want you to pray that they begin to kind of have in their their spirit awakened a little bit. What would it look like to begin to pray for the people that matter to you in your life, that matter to God? We have a card uh, called One Life that is out of the next steps table. On this card, it's blank on the back side. Here's my strong encouragement to you. Think back to the people that matter to you the ones that you have maybe prayed for in the past that they would come to know and have a life with God and have a relationship with Jesus, and maybe your prayer life has waned a little bit from that and you've gotten caught up on the laundry list of things that you have and the people that matter to you and other things, and, and those are good things too. But have you drifted maybe from maybe praying about the thing that God cares most about, people who don't know him? people who are not connected to him, what would it look like for you to take a card and write one or two names on there and just keep it in your wallet, carry it in your purse, and as you see it, to begin to pray for them. In fact, you're probably thinking of a person right now. What would it look for you to tune me out for the next minute and actually pray for that person? I'm for that, go for it, because they matter most to God. What would it look like for you to begin to turn your prayer life not into just a list of things that you need and the things that you want, those are good, you can pray for those, but to also begin to pray specifically for one or two people that matter to you and that you want to have matter to God. See, he always is at work behind the scenes anyway. I love this quote from Mother Teresa who says this, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I stop, they don't. What would it look like to begin to pray for a coworker, for a friend, for a student who's in your class, for a family member, for someone that that you care about, you want to see them connected to Christ, to, to know God like you know, Maybe to begin to awaken up a little bit to his presence, his reality in this world, even if their heart is closed off to it right now. What would it be like to pray for God to be at work? And maybe, just maybe, as you pray, these spiritual coincidences might start happening. That God might be at work. See, I know this to be true. Because I've seen it happen in the people that I've prayed for, the people that I care about. I've seen it happen for some of you. The reason you're sitting here is because people were praying for you long before you even recognized it, before you even realized it. I I love uh, the card I get from this lady every single week. And she's got a list of 20 names, of family members and people she's praying for. And every Monday, I sit and I pray through her list and I'm partnering with her, and I love her heart. Because it's what God cares most about. It's those people. And it's been a long time, (laughs) I gotta tell you. We've been praying for three years for some, and they haven't set foot here yet. They haven't maybe even become aware of God's presence yet. But you keep praying. You be persistent in praying for the people that matter to God you keep praying, you keep going. Uh, Maybe here's a convicting question that convicted me this week. If God were to answer every prayer that you prayed last week, would there be anyone new in his family this week? If God were to answer every prayer you prayed last week, would there be anyone new in his kingdom or in his family this week? if he answered them all? That's a haunting question, but I think one God wants us to wrestle with. So, prayer matters. Make prayer a pattern and a part of how you live. Secondly is this, let your friends, neighbors, co-workers, uh, let the people that you care about, the people that you're praying for, let them know that the door is always open for questions. I think sometimes the Christian culture has set it up that if you have doubts, if you have questions, then you're not welcome here. I can't find any place in the New Testament where Jesus turned anyone away ever who had a sincere question for him. I just can't find it. You just don't see it in his life. In fact, one of the most sincere questions came to him from someone that was a dear friend. Uh, We see this example play out with John the Baptist, right? Remember John the Baptist was the one in John chapter one that said, hey, look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If John the Baptist doesn't know who Jesus is, who does? Like, he's the one that pointed him out, right? And this is all going great, and John's ministry began to fade, and then John got arrested and put in prison. Jesus, this is not supposed to play out this way. Like I was pointing people to you and now I'm in prison and your ministry's growing and I'm over here in like solitude confinement, right? And what happens when life throws you a curveball and you're kind of stuck somewhere? What happens in your in just your spirit and your soul? What? You begin to have these doubts, right? And you begin to have these own questions and your own struggles. And so John sends two of his dearest to Jesus and he asks them this question. Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Or are we supposed to wait for someone else? This is the guy who said he was the Messiah. And what did Jesus say? Did Jesus reprimand John in that moment? Did he say, you go tell John to shut up? (laughs) No, I never see Jesus say shut up anywhere. Um, What did he say? Here's what he said after he healed some people and after he pointed out to all the things that were going on in the ministry. Here's what he said to those two people to go back to John. He said, you go tell John what you have seen and what you have heard, that the lame walk, the blind see, the dead are raised, and the gospel is preached to the poor. Go tell John that. He didn't rip into John, he didn't reprimand him with his questions. In fact, when those left and they went back to report to John, he pointed out there was no one better who's ever been born of woman than John. He elevated him. And in the struggle, what you begin to see in the pattern of Jesus, and I think, friend, needs to be in the pattern of us, is that people who have doubts, who are in a wrestling match of faith, need to know that it's safe to wrestle here. It's safe to wrestle with me. In fact, I've got my own questions. I made it through seminary, I've got doubts, I've got struggles, I know enough to hang my hat, but I still have my own questions and things I struggle with. And people who matter to God need to know that they have a safe place to begin to wrestle and to continue this wrestling match a little bit. So what does it look like to begin to open up your heart and to begin to say, hey, I wanna be a place that my friends, my coworkers, my neighbors, the people that are around me that I care about, what would it look like to have an open door policy that they can come and ask those questions? And if we don't know the answer, we'll go discover it together. We'll ask the right people, we'll read the right things, we'll discover this together or I can give them my experience. I can, I can say, here's what God's been doing for me. And you can just speak from your experience. You don't have to have a PhD to answer all the questions. You can answer the questions that you've wrestled with and you can meet them in their own turf and begin to say that. See, this all centers around maybe this third place of us living out an authentic faith. A faith that says, hey, this is about me walking out faith with Jesus, being a follower of him. This is about me trying to understand that more and more. This is about me living out of faith that matches what I say, that how I live matches what I say. And it's not perfection because we're all broken and we all make mistakes and take sidesteps, but we get back up again and we keep walking and we let people see the real us. What so many people have an issue with when it comes to Christianity is what they would say hypocrisy. Listen, every person in this room is a hypocrite. We all are. Because we're not perfect, and we can't make it be perfect, but here's what we can be is authentic and real. Not propped up or puffed up or powdered up to look better, but just to be real and to say here's where I'm at in my faith journey. Here's how I begin to live this out. Remember uh, Matthew chapter five, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In Greek, that word good there is not just this idea of good opposite of bad. This word good in Greek is literally this idea that it would be your good deeds would be attractive and winsome to people. That what they see and how they see you live would be attractive in a way that they go, that's just different than how other people interact with me and how other people react to me. That they're engaged and they begin to see something, maybe begin to even woken up. It's this idea that you would have a compassion radar. What do my friends need? What do the people I'm praying for, what do they actually need in life? And that maybe you would hear something and then respond to it. My friend needs someone to move. Whoa, preacher, just because I have a truck doesn't mean I have to, no, listen. Maybe it does. Maybe it does. Maybe if you got time, maybe your time is what they're longing for. Maybe uh, it's the energy you bring to life. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's the safe place to ask questions. Maybe it's that. What would it look like for you, for the people you pray for, that you're praying about because God cares about them most, what would it look like to have a compassion radar to listen, not just run past and run alongside, but to actually listen and hear what they need in life? And then you and God, on mission together, meet that need. And you just do it because you love and you want them to see God's love in and through you. Wouldn't that make your Mondays more adventurous? To live life that way? Wouldn't it let your Wednesdays be a little more adventurous if you wake up and say, God, I don't know what the mission is today, but let's go do it. Uh, Here's the people I care about. I want you to be active in their life. Let them kind of see you. And would you just help me to listen to hear, maybe see, give me eyes to see and ears to hear ways that I could partner with you to let them know about you. Doesn't that just make the adventure a little bit more palatable with you? I love what... um, Maggie is a person that wrote a letter to Lee Strobel after this debate and all these kind of things. I want to read you a little bit of her story and close with a poem that she enclosed. i tell you a little bit more about her story because she grew up kind of going to church, being around church. Maggie has, uh, in a lot of ways, got to a place in her teenage years where she became poisoned maybe against God and against the church the result of people who professed faith in Christ but caused her harm as she was growing up and she kind of wrote Strobel a letter saying, I've kind of written off church. See, Christianity I grew up with was so confusing to me. People said one thing and they did another. They appeared very spiritual in public but they were abusive to me in in private. What they said just never really fit. There was such a discrepancy, I just wrote off Church and I hated Christians and Christianity as a whole. I didn't want to be associated with any church. But somehow I showed up at this debate that you hosted and there was something that God used to trigger me and so I actually showed up at your church and I went to this small group. And when I went, I, what I needed was gentleness. I needed to be able to ask my questions. I needed to have my questions taken seriously. I needed to be treated with respect and valued. And most of all, I needed to see people whose actions matched what they said. I'm not looking for perfect. What I'm looking for is real. Does God care about the wounds I have? Does he care that I need a place to live? Can I be a whole and healthy person? And what I discovered is I didn't understand the caring that I received, and it began to change me. Here's the poem she enclosed in this letter. I want you to listen to this poem like it's being read to you, about you. Do you know, do you understand that you represent Jesus to me? Do you know and do you understand that when you treat me with gentleness, it raises the question in my mind that maybe he is gentle too. Maybe he isn't someone who laughs when I'm hurt. Do you know, do you understand that when you listen to my questions and you don't laugh, I think, what if Jesus is interested in me too? If you care, I think maybe he cares. And then there's this flame of hope that burns inside me and for a while I'm afraid to breathe because it might go out. Do you know, do you understand that your words are his words? Your face is his face to someone like me. Please, be who you say you are. Please, God, don't let this be another trick. Let this be real, please. Do you know, do you understand that you represent Jesus to me? Everywhere you go, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. It's part of your new identity you don't just represent yourself anymore. You represent the one who saved you, who rescued you, who called you home, who made a way for you to be home. And so as you live your life, let people see him in you, through you, with you. Maggie goes on, um, that's not the end of her story, she actually started, kept going to that church, became a follower of Jesus, got baptized, gave her life over, and uh, Lee was asking her later and said, you know, what what evidence maybe in that debate that sparked you, kind of got you thinking about it? She said it wasn't the evidence, it wasn't the credibility of the resurrection, that was all good stuff. She said, what really got me was this idea of people who lived a real life, of people who lived like they knew Jesus and they just started living around me and it overwhelmed me. And it won me over. And the challenge and the invitation for us, friends, real simply, is to pray for the people in your life that God cares most about. So, the people who aren't home yet. Pray for other things, pray for all the things. But make sure that you're praying for them. He's inviting you to partner with Him. So, who's the one or two people that this week you could say, God, I wanna start putting them back on my prayer radar. And I wanna start praying for them by name. That you'd be active in their life and that some way, shape, or form you'd use me as a part of the process of just loving them well like you do and maybe, just maybe, their heart would begin to turn in your direction and recognize that you've always been turned in theirs. What does it look like to pray that way? What does it look like to begin to say, hey, I wanna have a compassion radar, I wanna listen eyes to see, ears to hear, ways that I can respond in their life to let them know, hey, it's not just because I'm a nice guy, it's not just because I'm a nice gal, it's because I live this adventure with Jesus and I just want you to know he loves you too. So you don't have to carry a thick Bible through the cubicles at work. You don't have to eat Chick-fil-A every day. Though it's good. You don't have to be weird. What Jesus wants most of all is just for us to be us, with him, in an adventure to win people, home, that he's already searching for. And he says to you, taps you on the shoulder, taps me on the shoulder, and says look, I'm on this mission, I'd sure like for you to be on it with me. What if a church just did that? I think that's the kind of church that God wants to use to change the world and to change the city it's a part of. So what does it look like this week for you to take one step to that? That's what I'd love for you to pray about. We're gonna continue on our service uh, with a a time and a moment of communion. Uh, We do this almost every week and invite you some space to to contemplate, maybe to think, maybe you just wanna sit there and think about something. Maybe you wanna take a moment to pray uh, for the one or two people that God kind of put on your mind. Maybe you want to think about, okay, I'm going to grab one of these cards. I'm just going to put it in my wallet and begin to write these people and pray for them. What does that look like to do? I'm going to give you some space to do that. If you want to take communion, we've got communion down front and here in the middle, uh, gluten-free crackers down here that will create a space for that. We'll worship in a song and then Brian will close us and we'll be off into the night. But friends, this matters. At the end of the day, the culmination of this whole series is about the people that God values most, who aren't connected to him yet. And we, as the rescued ones, need to be a part of rescuing new ones and helping people see Jesus for who he really is. So Father, that's what we pray for, that we would be a people, we would be a church, we'd be a community of gathered who are then scattered to go share your love with those around us. God, for each one here, I pray that you would put maybe one or two names in the front of their mind right now, that they care about, that they love, that they know. And Father, we lift all those names up to you right now in this moment. God, would you be active behind the scenes in their life? We know you already are. But would you begin to awaken a curiosity for Jesus in their heart? Would you help us to be open, to, to hear or see ways and needs that arise that we can jump in and serve in a way and just, we can just kind of point to you, that you can let us be salty in a way that creates this taste to want something about you, your f- favor, your hope, your grace. Would you help us to be your light in the dark places of our workplace and our, our school, the environment, the neighborhood that we're in. And Father, as a whole church, and we pray for the church in Tucson. God, there's a million plus people that you're searching for, that you want to connect and bring home. We don't even have enough churches to hold them all. But would you grow your church here in this city? And would you help us one by one to reunite people with you for them to come home? We ask that in Jesus' precious name. Amen.